In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, on this last Sunday of the church year, you just witnessed the first day of eternal life for God's dear children, Andromeda and Freya. Today, God saved them by washing away the stain of sin that they had in their conscience and soul. Today, God had mercy upon them both and forgave every sin that they'll ever sin and wiped the slate clean forever. Here you saw God give Andromeda and Freya what they weren't born with. Give them what they could never earn or work for. You saw God crown them with salvation. You saw him fill their empty lamps with oil, fill their mortal bodies with his Holy Spirit, and fill their hearts with faith by declaring them pure and holy and righteous in his sight. And Andromeda and Freya, today, right now, Jesus has given you everything you need to face your final day, whenever that is, to, to have everything you need to go to that eternal marriage feast and to enter the wedding hall of his kingdom forever. And just as it's true for these dear children of God, it's also true for all of you who have been baptized and have faith in the saving name of Jesus. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus teaches the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids <clears throat> is what we would call them. And I'll try to summarize it briefly. It's a parable about Christ returning to judge the living and the dead. The ten virgins together are uh, the visible church, uh, the church that you see with your eyes, what, uh, uh, what is outwardly associated with that. Uh, the bridegroom is Jesus. The wedding hall is heaven. The oil is the word of God, the means of grace, uh, even the faith needed to be a Christian. And the five foolish virgins, therefore, are those who don't have faith at the time of the Lord's return. The five wise are those who do. And now there's so much in this parable that I can't possibly uh, preach on all of it today. So I have to focus on a few things from the text. And so I'm simply going to focus on this. What makes the five virgins foolish? Why are they foolish? And hopefully uh, this will keep you from imitating them or doing what they do. Uh, the five foolish virgins are foolish in a number of ways, but I'm only going to focus on two specific ways that they're foolish. Uh, so a quick note here in the Greek, uh, the Greek word here for foolish is morai, uh, which is the root of the English word moron. Uh, so these foolish ones are moronic. Uh, what they do is actually quite foolish. It's quite stupid. All right, with that being said, the first reason these virgins are foolish is because of this. <clears throat> they play the odds. They think, look, uh, the bridegroom hasn't come back for quite some time. So that means he probably won't be back here in the next few moments either. So I have time. And the Lord tells us this parable because he knows that we're prone to thinking and doing the same exact thing. And we oftentimes think, look, yeah, I know Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. I know the day is coming, but it's been such a long time already, I, I still have time. I must still have time. And because you think you have time, 
How many times have you given yourself over to some sin or some passion or lust? Doing something you know you shouldn't do? And then thought to yourself, what's it matter? He's not going to come back right now, at least right at this moment. I gave into the sin yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And I've gotten away with it. I've done it a thousand times before and I've always been fine. I've always been safe. So what are the odds that he will come back right now in this moment when I'm engaging in this sin? I'll be fine. The Lord will not catch me. However, if, uh, if you knew exactly when the Lord was returning, I'm willing to bet that you'd try to amend your life in some way. I mean, uh, for example, if the Lord told us that this world would end, uh, say, tonight at 7 p.m., that this is going to be your final day in this world, that right at 7 p.m., the Lord will come with all of his glory and might and judge the living and the dead once and for all. I'm willing to bet you'd spend the rest of this day a little bit differently than all the other days you've lived. Right? If God were coming at seven tonight to separate the sheep and the goats for all eternity, uh, wouldn't you amend your life right this second, right now? If you knew this, and this were certain and true, would you spend the rest of this day or this last day drunk or intoxicated or drugged out? Would you spend these final moments gossiping or thinking poorly of others and ruining reputation? Would you, look these, uh, would you spend these final moments in front of a screen looking at whatever pixelated image that defiles your soul? Would you spend these final moments being angry at others or angry at your own family still or angry at your own wife or your own children? Would you just stay in bed and skip church, leave the Bible sitting on your shelf collecting dust, and then simply fill your mind with whatever you see on the screen? I highly doubt it. I doubt that you would squander away these final and precious moments of your life doing the same things you've done a thousand times before. I know you would act differently. I know I would act differently. And I grant that all of you know that the Lord is going to return someday. But our Lord desires that you seriously consider the possibility that he may return today. Indeed, this very hour, this very moment may be the moment of his return. Uh, I've heard people say, look, uh, one of these days, I'll get back to church. Or one of these days, I'm going to pick up my Bible and I'm going to start reading it again. Uh, or one of these days, look, I'm going to get these habits and these bad things under control. I'll, I'll just do it. Well, what are you waiting for? If there is a common thread that runs through every passage of the Bible regarding the return of the Lord, it is this, it, that that day will come suddenly like a trap, like a thief in the night. If you change what you're going to do in your life, if you knew that Jesus were going to come back at 7 p.m. today, then why don't you just do it now? Why don't you do it now, today?
Why are you playing the odds? Why are you gambling with eternal life? Repent of your sins. Repent of your pet sins, your besetting sins, your recurring sins, your manifest sins. Don't be weighed down by them. Remember that today is the day of salvation. Repent now because you may not have tomorrow. Repent and be absolved by the Lord's forgiveness and his voice right now. Repent so that you may live life anew starting today. Have oil for your lamps and faith in your heart and peace in your soul. Repent and be filled again with the gospel. All right. So the first reason these virgins are foolish is because they try to time out their repentance. They try to play the odds. The second reason they're foolish is because of this. They think that it's safe and it's okay to simply be a part of the club. They think that, it, that uh, this is going to be the thing that saves them. They think that uh, they can simply blend into the right crowd and those who don't have oil in their lamps will be covered up and blend in with those who do have oil in their lamps. So how does that apply to us? Well, the point that Jesus here teaches is this, that you must believe for yourself. Uh, you cannot believe for anyone else or be ready for anyone else. Either you believe or you don't. But you will not be saved simply because you outwardly associate yourself with those who do. In other words, just being a part of the church club or having your name on a list somewhere or just because your family grew up in the faith and remained in it doesn't mean squat if you don't actually believe it. Uh, coming to church and going through the motions day after day, having the right opinions, saying the right things at the right times, isn't going to help you if you don't actually believe it. Having perfect church attendance is a great and a good thing, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't pay attention and let the word take root in your heart. Uh, Just because you read through the Bible once cover to cover or because you went to vacation Bible school when you were younger or because you taught Sunday school or volunteered for 40 years of your life in the church does not automatically make you prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. These things will not prepare you for that day. You can't depend upon the fact that your name is on the church directory. You cannot even depend upon how ready you once were at one point in your life. In fact, it doesn't help you if you've repented a thousand times before in the past. What matters is if you repent now. It doesn't matter if you've believed fervently at one time. What matters is if you believe now present tense. It doesn't matter if you once had oil in your lamp. It matters if you have that oil right now. Even more, you cannot depend upon someone else for your salvation. 
Uh, you will not be saved because you have a strong family of Christians, because uh, you have the same last name as they do. Uh, you will not be saved because you have uh, this strong Lutheran heritage or uh, Christian heritage. Your last name won't save you. Your association with uh, those who do believe won't save you. Your last name won't save you, and your last name will not save your children. They won't receive faith simply because you have it. Faith isn't inherited, it's not hereditary. It's not found in your DNA. It doesn't come through the gene pool. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It is by his name that they will be saved, not yours. When you sit down with your children and open the Bible and give it to them, that's where faith comes from. When you talk theology with them and you tell them about how salvation is found in no other name, not even yours, when you remind them of their baptism and tell them of the joy of the Lord's Supper, that he wipes away every sin, that is when faith comes. You must have your own oil and your children must have theirs. Uh, <clears throat> I want to drive this point home even further. Uh, your children must believe for themselves. And as much as we'd like to, we cannot believe for them or even for our spouse. So this is why you must bring them to church and never stop. Parents, uh, this is why we as a church don't have a children's church or take the kids out of the service deliberately in a planned way. And this is because we know that the best place in the world for your children is sitting next to you in church. That is the best place. There is no better place. There's no safer place. There's no beautiful, more beautiful of an image than that of a father and a mother who love their kids so much that they're going to endure whatever tantrums and annoyance and uh, squirming around to make sure those kids hear the gospel. That is a beautiful image. So if your kid is kicking and screaming, fine, so be it. Don't worry, we get it. We know how it goes. So don't be discouraged by it. Don't shy away from church because of it. Don't give up. Keep doing what you're doing. Push through. You may grow weary and faint, but don't give up. God will bless you for it. He will take care of those children, and he will bring them up in a way that they will not depart. Uh, now, I want to address the kids. Uh, for many of the kids, though, uh, this may go over your heads, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway so that when you hear this sermon in a few years, uh, you're going to remember that I told you, and I can say, look, ha, I told you. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, so this is it. Uh, children, you must believe in Jesus for yourselves. Uh, this means that I am not your parents' pastor. This means that I am your pastor. This isn't your mom and dad's church. This is your church too. This is not, that is not your mom and dad's Bible. That is your Bible. That is not just the church's baptismal font or altar rail or cross or crucifix and sanctuary. It is all yours. You aren't the church of the future. 
You are the church right now. God counts you and numbers you with his saints in heaven. It's not that all of this will be yours one day. It's that it already is through Jesus, through his blood for you. So make this gospel, the forgiveness of sins, yours right now through faith and believe it. All right, so far, uh, we've considered two reasons why those virgins are foolish. Uh, One, because they play the odds. And the second, they think by outward association, they will be saved apart from faith. Um, And every year when I preach this text, I always get someone who is worried after hearing the the text of the sermon. And they hear this and they think, look, oh no, uh, I've done these things before. I've thought these ways before. And uh, so what does this mean? Am I wise or am I foolish? Am I ready or not? Do I have enough oil or don't I? And so they start to look inside of themselves and look to find their own faith. Well, let me say this. If you are thinking about how much oil you have in your lamp, even if you're afraid of how little you might have, then you're most certainly not a foolish Christian. Because it is the foolish Christian who does not even consider this or think about it. It's not even on his mind. His mind is on other things. But the wise Christian is concerned about this and thinks of it. And his attention is on that. It's the wise ones who have this on their mind. The wise who hold on to whatever oil they get. Knowing that it could be their very last. And they keep it and they treasure it. And it is this word of God that will keep your faith alive. And so if you were afraid, then you should be comforted by this. So do you want to know if you have oil? To know if if you have God's word to keep your faith alive. Well, have you been baptized? Has the Lord placed his name upon you? Yes, he has. Has Jesus Christ made payment for your life? Yes, Has he satisfied the requirements of the law on behalf of his death on the cross? Has the pastor stood before you, raised his hand above you, and in the name of the triune God forgiven you all of your sins and absolved you? Has the Lord not made all of these promises to you? Does the Lord not keep his promises to you? Does he not bid you to come forward and take and eat his body and his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins, strengthening you until life everlasting? Has he not given you his Holy Spirit by whom you've learned that you are indeed broken and sinful and fallen and worthy of condemnation? And has he not by that same Holy Spirit caused in you to move your lips and plead for his mercy? What has he not objectively done for you? externally supply to you the oil, the forgiveness you need to endure? What has he left undone? Jesus has done all of these things for you for one reason, so that you would know that you would walk through that door on that final day, that that door would be open to receive you. He will welcome you with open arms. And you'll see that the one whom you have been waiting for was waiting for you. The one who you longed to be with 
was longing to be with you. Don't look at your heart or some subjective internal thing. When you do that, you find only grief and shame and regret. Uh, Faith cannot keep your faith alive just as a flame can't keep itself burning. Only oil keeps a flame alive and only God's word will keep your faith alive. So don't look at yourself or anybody else. Don't look at your works or your sins. Don't look at your faith or your faithlessness. Don't look to the left or to the right. Look straight ahead to the cross and see Jesus who gives you the oil, the word, the forgiveness that you need. He gives the oil. He provides the oil for your lamp with the blood in his veins. Dear saints and most especially dear Andromeda and Freya, uh, what Jesus gave you in your baptism is everything you need. It is what you cannot get anywhere else. The word is the supply that will not run dry, the source that will keep your faith alive in the darkness of this world. So when the end comes, no matter when that is, you will be fully prepared when the voice cries out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And when that moment comes, you will meet him. You will see him face to face and he will fill your eyes with hope and wipe away every tear and take away every yearning and longing and moment of waiting in an instant. And he will give you everything he promised, everything you have been yearning for, everything you waited for. So hold on to this word. Hold on to this oil. Hold on to your baptism. Hold on to this forgiveness and treasure it in your heart. Make it the chief thing in your life, the number one thing that is most beautiful and worth more than all the silver and gold in the world. Keep coming back for more and Jesus will sustain you. He will not fail you. And he will sustain the flame of your faith with the blood of his veins. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. I wait with lamp still burning, my faith alone in you. And from your word am learning your will and what to do. While here I wait beneath the cross that you in love place on me to purge away my dross. O light of light still beaming deep in my mortal heart, come soon my flesh redeeming when better life will start. And at the wedding feast above, I join with saints and angels to sing and praise your love. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.